Hey, it's Matt Burdick with WDBM, and I'm here with legendary punk musician Jeff Rosenstock. Do you have any? Uh oh. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Do you have any uh, introductory things you want to say? Uh, greetings. Hello, everybody. I don't know. <laughs> that's, about, that's what I got. How's that? <laughs> that's perfect. That's perfect. I like your shirt. Oh, thank you. So you just came out with your new record, No Dream. It was surprise released with like no announcement or anything. And I know this isn't the first time you've surprise released a record either. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages, do you think, of dropping albums out of the blue like that? Um, I think for, well, one of the big advantages for someone like me is that I don't have to think about the record doing badly for four months or five months or six months or however long it will take between finishing the record and putting it out. It could just, you could just know right away whether or not people will like it. Uh, so I don't just get anxious about it a bunch. That's a big one for me. Uh, I think I just like, I don't know. I just, I just like the feeling of immediacy that comes out with just putting out a record when it's done and kind of, moving on or not not moving on but just like getting it out you know yeah, um, yeah. I, I tend to like i tend to write at a pretty steady pace or i try to write at a pretty steady pace um so i think like time that i'm spending thinking about what like just spending all this time before putting out the record kind of takes up a lot of mental space for me that I feel like I just would rather be thinking about anything else. I don't feel like it's a particularly professional attitude to have, uh, but it's, but I've been lucky that it's worked out at that uh, polyvinyl are cool with it going down like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I've heard it mentioned that you originally planned to have no dream come out in like July, but decided to drop it early in May. So is yeah. that kind the same type of thought process behind that getting it out immediately kind of yeah i mean we we had like a whole bunch of things planned for july and for tours we were going to announce everything in a very smart and cool way and i had this i had this planner here and i wrote all these dates for the cartoon and all these dates for tour and where i'm going to be doing stuff at, a, at that when covid hit and then when it continued to like keep getting worse and worse uh and we canceled like everything for the year it just seemed like let's put this record out what are what are we doing like it seemed like it would just feel like the right thing to do i uh when we put post out as a surprise release i know that fans were real stoked about it and we're stoked about the surprise and i really like a surprise too uh and so i was just like let's just do it i think people will be stoked for the surprise it seems like people were for the most part so that's good it was nice to do something that felt like uh it was not an extra thing bringing doom and dread into the world in a particular you know what i mean and i think there's something really special about like doing the surprise drops too in that I don't know, it makes it seem like maybe a little more of a magical experience. Like, I remember when Post dropped and when No Dream dropped, at first I was like, wait, is this for real? Is this like a prank or something? <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe the next one we drop on April Fool's Day and it's <laughs> bad, very, very bad. And we'll just be like, psych. And then <laughs> I don't know, spend six months we for the new one. No, I, I, that's nice to hear. Like, I, I can think about like, like standing in line to get, that the Jimmy Eat World record Bleed American 
uh, and being really excited when that came out. And uh, I think that's something that comes with streaming culture is that it just things feel a little bit more disposable uh, in certain ways, at least versus like, you know, when people would like get stoked for things to drop and like line up and talk to each other. So I don't know. It kind of felt like what we did, what we did post, we didn't really see how that was going to work out. But like throughout the day, like seeing everybody kind of talking to each other, it kind of just brought those nice feelings back for me of just like, yeah, I remember like, I don't know, getting stoked for something to go out and showing up at the thing at midnight and be like, yeah, I got a copy. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of the, I guess the vibe of the year so far too, is just things being really unpredictable yeah uh, what's gonna happen next and <laughs> it seems like everybody's just like putting out their record i know you're not talking about only music being unpredictable of <laughs> course but like it seems like people are either like screw it i'm putting on my record now or like we're putting out this record in eight months until all this blows over and just nobody's sticking to anything it's chaos <laughs> yeah so what song on the record for you was the hardest to put together the hardest to record or write um I don't know either probably I don't know the hardest to put together um fame was a weird one because I I demo all of these songs like pretty extensively like full arrangements and stuff because I just I want to hear what it's go what it would sound like you know um and that was one where in the demo stages of it like by the time it got to kind of the droney repetitive part at the end uh it just did feel like it, it just like the momentum just felt wrong and we worked that out like as we were practicing the record like we just kind of went through a bunch of different like I guess permutations of like well what feels right like when does it feel right for it to kick in when does it feel right for like the metal part to happen like just kind of trying to figure out like how how long is it because also like this uh, unusual thing for our band to do which is kind of just jam on one riff for like two minutes uh but like i i don't know i i listened to some music that does that like i listened to dub music and i listened to uh a little bit of kraut stuff and ambient stuff and i kind of wanted to put that vibe in there and so yeah that was that was just something that we had to just keep trying and keep seeing like well what feels right when does it feel right for this to come in how does it feel right to escalate and like how can it make like the refrain i can't swear on this radio station right well where where the refrain where it finally comes in with leave me the f alone uh <laughs> and like it gets crazy you know like how to make that really feel satisfying when that part came in and not just make it feel like all right, well, we do this part, and then we do this part, and then we do this thing, and then we do this thing, and then the song's done. I don't know, you know? So that was proud. That was one that, like, you know, but it was cool. I, I'm lucky that, like, everyone in my band kicks ass and is good at it. So it was just, it was fun to work on that together. Yeah, well, from, uh, from an outside perspective, that the ending of Fame is one of my personal favorite moments on the record. I would we say- We did it! Uh, the impact of the ending hits really hard. Um, cool, but you mentioned, like, you mentioned the ambient and crowd rock influences a bit. Uh, were there any non-musical things that really inspired the album? Um, I It's like, aside from just like obvious things that uh, inspired the lyrics, whether it's the things happening in the world around us or just kind of like having personally felt like I went through a bit of a like mental spiral for like a year there and then needed to take a year to just kind of like 
get my head together, which I feel like, a, you know, that's all in there in, in ways or whatever. Uh, I think I've been running a lot and I was driving a lot on tour. And I think just the feeling of being in motion and the feeling of like continuing to go was a pretty big influence on a lot of the stuff. I think that that's, I, and I haven't really thought about this until I started talking about it in interviews and stuff, but I think that that the faster pace of the record and the momentum of this record kind of lends itself to like, you know, trying to stay awake on a long drive or trying to like, you know, run five miles after you've been working uh, for 10 hours in a day. So I think that there are like, like just things in my life of just trying to like keep the energy going and keep, keep going and not like, uh, like have, having something, listening to music that to me felt like a companion to not burning out. I think that that kind of, those kind of actions, I guess, just like running, driving, biking, moving forward were like big ones for this record. Did yeah. I answer your question? Non-musical influences. Sure. sure. Pizza? No. <laughs> uh, so I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the faster pace of this album and the heavier, more, uh, I guess, like breakneck punk stuff that hasn't really been as present since maybe like the bomb, the music industry days. Is that something that you consciously thought about while you were recording or did you just kind of look back on it and you're like, Ooh, we, we went fast this time. Uh, I think a lot of these songs were written like while we were on tour for a really long time. So at that point, our band was just playing fast. So in like when we play live, I feel like we're playing all of our songs like 20% faster than they are in the record. So I think when I was writing, I had like that pace in mind. It's interesting. I, I, I have seen a lot about it feeling like a throwback to bomb stuff as far as like the faster breakneck punk things go. Uh, but to me, it was just more that there aren't really as it, it, it's kind of more just unrelenting on this record. Like it, there aren't too many quiet moments because there were like all those like there were a lot of fast things like out of worry is planet luxury on it. And that song is like fast and mm -hmm. like there's a ska song on it. There's a part on We Cool that everybody in the band we refer to as our Pennywise part of our song. So like we've always kind of been trying to push to see like how fast, like if for every like moment that we're like trying to not be afraid to get slower or not try to be afraid to get quieter. Uh, I, I've tried to be aware of like, if you're doing that, then you should pull it in the other direction. Also do something that's faster and louder. I think there's just a first record in a while where all the songs that kind of hung together were all like rockers and were all just kind of bangers and didn't like the, the slow ones that were come that I was writing as I was working on this record just felt, I don't know, like whiny is a wrong way to put it, but just felt like a little too much of a downer or too depressing. And it wasn't it like it just didn't sit well with what was on this, you know? Yeah. And it's like with some of your work, the tension and release will come from having like a slow, soft part into a fast, like big part. But what I thought was really impressive about this record is like instead of having that impact come from going to like soft to loud, you go from like huge to, to even huger. <laughs> And Thanks. it somehow works just <laughs> Thank you. That's that's what we wanted to do. I'll, like any of like the metal parts of this record were just like all of us just kind of like grinning from ear to ear, like, oh yeah, we have this like metal core mosh breakdown. Sick. <laughs> so what other things do you think uh set this album apart from the rest of your albums? Oh, I don't 
I'm not sure. I mean, it's a it's a different with the songs. It's different songs on it. Uh, the artwork's totally different than the other records. Uh, new words. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I I think uh, I don't know. There's a bit of writing about traveling on this record. I haven't really written too much about like, hey, I'm a guy in a band on tour because I feel like those songs can just be bad a lot of the time. And so I was like afraid to kind of write from that perspective for a while. Uh, But I I do always just try to like challenge myself to do something that I think might turn out bad on every record. And so I was just trying to write some songs that reflected like what my experience, what my friends' experiences have been uh, just kind of being in a van or on a plane like so much for like the last three and a half years, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because that is, that has been my reality and it would be dishonest to like not uh, talk about that at all. So I I think that that's a pretty big difference on this one. And then I bet it stings extra hard that like (laughs) you finally put out these songs about like the difficulties of tour life and stuff. And then suddenly COVID hits, no one can tour. It's like, wait, this is what I wanted. Yeah, and also, like, I took a year off there, and I'm just kind of like, could I just hung in there for one more year, and then I could have had my, uh, you know, nervous breakdown, uh, <laughs> like, a year later, and, like, chilled out. Uh, yeah, it stings, but what can you do? You know, everybody's going through it. I, I it, it stings a little bit, but then I just think about how everyone is dealing with this and uh, I'm not special in the way that I'm dealing with it. I'm pretty lucky in the way that I'm dealing with it. So, you know, like I'm healthy. Uh, I have a good situation. I just moved uh, like right before this happened. We were not on tour when it did happen. Like we'll, we'll be fine. You know? Yeah. And then you brought up the artwork for no dream, which is a lot different than the other, the previous projects under your solo name what's the uh, significance of that like melty painted cover to you i it just kind of uh i it, for me it was kind of reflecting just everything kind of like the mishmash that life kind of felt like for a while for me there but also i don't know it's like i think about the world getting hotter all the time and i thought that the image of like a nice house just melting in the sun even though not, and I didn't want it to feel really explicit in that way. I think it was the first time I've ever told anybody that that was like even a thought in my head, aside from the artist who drew it. Um, But I just wanted it to feel, I I wanted it to encapsulate the feeling that there's like a slow, a slow drip down of life happening, you know, right now. And having it just kind of also just bright and super bright colors and make it feel super bright. Just kind of like the overwhelming nature of everything. Try, trying to like both capture like the overwhelming nature of everything being in our brains all the time at like max levels all the time while also tr- like thinking about like uh, just kind of old reggae album covers and stuff and how they're all like very bright colors and trying to find like a middle ground between those things, you know? Yeah, I would say that's a perfect description for how it sounds with it being like a real fun summer album, but with this underlying sense of like everything is falling apart or could fall apart at any moment. Yeah, I mean, that's that's life. It's intense. And you had uh, for the full album stream on YouTube, there's this hilarious Bob Mm -hmm. Ross parody of just like a, a painting tutorial for the album cover. 
Was that something you came up with or was that the label's idea? Uh, that was Christine's idea. Uh, my wife and our tour manager, Christine, thought of that. They wanted to do a live, a full album stream something. We were trying to figure out something to do for a full album stream video since we can't tour. We're just trying to be like, well, what's something cool we could put out there? Uh, and we just watch a lot of Bob Ross. Uh, it's a very chill thing to watch, uh, very <laughs> low stakes TV. And I'm I'm working on the cartoon so much that I kind of like, I can only deal with so much like hyperactive TV when I'm not working on the hyperactive TV I'm working on all the time. So we just ended up watching a lot of Bob Ross and uh, thought it'd be cool. And our friend Bob and his partner Megan are awesome and we like them a lot. And I know Megan's a sick painter. So I just asked them, I was like, Bob, would you film this? And Megan, would you paint this? And they're like, and Bob works at a warehouse for the streetwear brand Undefeated. And he was like, oh yeah, and we like have a nice space where we could do it, we could keep it safe. And my, my buddy Mikey, who works here, can also like help out with the cameras. So it worked out good. I was stoked. I, I was really happy when I saw it. I was also just like, oh my God, she could finish this painting. Uh, I, I was like, oh, is she going to make it? The first time I watched it, she makes it. Uh, let's focus in on, you said, hyperactive TV. So yeah. you, you do the music for Cartoon Network's Craig of the Creek? Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken... They, you just came out with uh, the first like full musical episode, basically. Yeah. What were some of the challenges of trying to pen like a children's TV musical? Uh, the challenges were not in writing it. I hope that doesn't sound like an obnoxious thing to say. <laughs> but it was like writing it was so much fun. I've been I've been working on this show for so long, and it was really cool to just be in like this office that I would visit whenever we came out to LA and like sit on the pitch every now and then to like, you know, be in the room, and, like talk about the episode and like try to work on stuff together. It was really, really cool. And then I would go back to the Airbnb that I had like my laptop and my keyboard and my two little modular synths and a couple of guitars and some stuff I borrowed from Chris Farron. Uh, it's just like, okay, I got to write a song about this. I don't have to think about why am I sad? I don't have to think about like, what could I say that I haven't said before? Or like, what could I say that's even worthwhile for another person to hear, which is all stupid hurdles that I feel like I have to get past when I'm writing lyrics. Uh, I was just like, oh, I gotta say that Craig doesn't know what this key goes to. Let's go. Like, it, that, that was really fun. It was really fun to just have a framework for the lyrics already and to write stuff for these characters that I feel like I've spent so much time with uh, and everybody was super supportive. And then like put it all together, the records were wild. Cause you know, we had like two days, two hours each to record everybody singing everything. And I arranged it like I would arrange one of my records. So like uh, poor, uh, not poor cause she kicked ass, uh, but Noelle Wells who plays Kelsey, I was just like, yo, I know you just put out a record. I'm going to lean on you super hard and you're going to have to do a lot of harmonies. She was like, okay, cool. And just like banging out harmonies. Phil, the kid who plays Craig, it's just like going there super psyched, just like knocking stuff out. But like going in there, especially that first day, because they were filming behind the scenes stuff too. So there was like a whole extra level of insanity to it. But going in there that first day, it was just like, okay. I really hope I get this done because I don't live here and I told everybody I could do this. And if I can't do it, I am going to be in trouble here. Uh, and everybody just kind of banked it out. It was sick. Do you think that the new experience of trying to 
use your music to tell a story like that do you think that kind of influences your solo music as well like I noticed in B&B a lot of that song is kind of telling some stories from outside perspectives too is that something that might have come from the show um I don't think that not really that that one came from uh I was in that Airbnb in that first verse and on my birthday uh after the like you know having a bunch of beers and doing whatever like outside like some person's house and then like waking up in the morning and using all their stuff at the shower looking at their family photos and just being like this is weird and I'm kind of just like I I don't know I I was just I just kind of was like I want to write a song that feels different I'm always trying to just write in different ways I don't know if it ever comes out like that but I'm always trying to push myself to write different kinds of things um but I was like, I think Craig of the Creek in general kind of pushed this record in that more like go hard or go harder kind of direction. Cause that's just kind of how that show is, which I, which I think is sick, which is something I love about working on that show. And I, and it also just like kind of gave me confidence to write, to finish songs that I had had like 75% written in my head and I was just getting in my own, own head like, oh God, am I, Am I really making another record? Will anybody care? Do I like, I don't know. I get down to myself. Uh, and, you know, once I was out there working on that musical and everybody's encouraging and it was, and it turned out good and everybody was really stoked on it. Um, I don't know. While I was working on it, I also ended up like demoing Nike's alt and demoing fame and just kind of like, it kind of gave me a little bit of a push to be like, okay, I could do this. All right. I'm not, I'm not like a uh, fraud. Like I've always telling myself that I have, you know? So hypothetically, if anything were possible, is there any show that like it would be your dream to do the music for that TV show? Any show? Craig of the Creek. Like I, I feel like I am in my dream zone, man. I, I would I it would be really fun to like make a movie to work on like a blockbuster or something like that. That would just be super cool to do. Also, I feel like they'd give me a ton of money. That would be sick because then I could spend that money on things. But uh, yeah, I like I've thought about that a lot because I've, I've thought about how I, I definitely like I got into this business now, this like composer business because the creator of this show who like slowly rose up the ranks of Cartoon Network, like saw Bond the music industry playing a backyard. Um, <laughs> and that's like not a traditional way to get into anything. So I've definitely thought like, all right, my foot's in the door. Like what's my next step? And then I feel like the more that I think about it, I'm just like, I don't even care, man. I'm so stoked to be on Craig of the Creek. And like, I'm just, I feel like I'm on the best show. I'm, I feel so stoked about it. Maybe an episode of Metalocalypse though, now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. I love that still on, but that'd just be fun. <laughs> Yeah. So if you were to compare No Dream, like the album itself, to a uh, to a movie or TV show, what do you think it would be? Oh, uh, um, hmm. I don't know. I want to say I'm trying to. This is a big question because I think about these things seriously. <laughs> I would want to say, but it's not right. Oh, sorry to bother you, probably. Okay. I was going to say Crank 2, High Voltage, <laughs> or maybe uh, one of the Fast and the Furious, more, one of the more recent Fast and Furious movies, like Fast Five or something. I think uh, you need a Khalifa feature for that. 
<laughs> yeah, I can't I can't mention it without getting uh, Wiz Khalifa's feature on the record. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, maybe sorry to bother you because it's anti-capitalist at its core, but that's not the only thing that's happening. And yeah. also it's just like, I, I wanted to make something that like, once you hit play, you're in and you're not going on, you're, you're mm. locked in. And that's how I felt when I, when I saw that movie, I was very much just like, oh man, it's happening. I've like, I don't know, just grinning ear to ear the whole time. Just like, I've seen this movie in a theater and they like let this movie get made and put into theaters. This is sick. You know, yeah. I have a lot of friends who I've forced to watch that movie. And at the end, they're like, yeah, I loved that. But I'm so mad that you made me watch that movie. <laughs> oh, man, the part uh, I don't want to say anything. Rich. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I. But yeah, it's, it's a sick <laughs> you, movie. You know that I know what part we're thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, what? Yeah. And the next one's going to be like Midsummer, and you'll just be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So another thing about No Dream that I think is really cool is your music has always been both really personal and really political. But this album, maybe more so than some of the past, even like the lines have become blurred so much that a lot of the songs can be taken as both personal and political at the same time. And I think it kind of mirrors how a lot of people's lives are becoming nowadays too, where the personal and the political can essentially be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that you were really pushing for? Or do you think that's just naturally how your life and people's lives have progressed? Yeah. I think uh, something that I'm always just kind of striving for in writing is to just be honest to the moment in which I'm writing it, or just be honest about what I'm writing about or what I'm feeling. And I guess something that I've just, grown closer to doing grown closer to her and I guess especially on this record because the last the last one was pretty overtly political at times uh and worry had a lot of that to it too and I think I was trying to pull back from something that felt like it was like a current events lesson or something that felt like I was lecturing about something or something that was finger pointy because I don't like fingers getting pointed at me either. I don't think anybody likes that, uh, which whatever. I didn't feel like those records were like that, but I just like, I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, if I, if I kept going that way, that was something that I feared I might end up in. Uh, and so I think that just the way I approach these songs is just like, try and approach just like the emotional weight of, uh, processing all of these things uh and kind of so the political feels tied into it and it feels like it could be both of those things but i guess i was just really trying to be truthful to the era that these songs are being written in and it's a really messed up and violent era you know mm -hmm. so this one's kind of a big question that you can Feel free to answer however you think is best. But what do you think is the place of musicians in affecting social change and inspiring that sort of thing? I think it's uh, I, I think it, it's just it serves a lot of purposes. I, I think there I think there are musicians that are out there that are making political music that are making overtly political music that is just straight up informative. You know, uh, like I, I often think about the song on The Chronic by Dr. Dre about the LA riots and how hearing that when I was a kid gave me a completely different perspective mm -hmm. um, on what was happening in the LA riots versus what I was seeing on TV. I think similarly about uh, listening to Public Enemy growing up, 
and, and there is obviously music out there that's like that right now that uh, is popular, like Run the Jewels and No Name, uh, the band Bad Moves, who are about to put out a record or like making like super political stuff, Downtown Boys. Um, I think that's a good purpose for it. Uh, I also just think that music is, for me at least, it's it's like an emotional balm, you know? Like, it's something that could be there to comfort you when you're going through this stuff and you're trying to just, like, make it through a day. Um, or it could be something to energize you so that you feel like you could wake up and you could go out to and you could go protest and you could go, like, try and change stuff, you know? And I don't think it has to be political in order to achieve those. I think that it's just this weird cosmic emotional resonance that music has in a lot of ways, that good music has, you know, that just kind of makes you feel like, all right, I, I could go, I could go do this. Let's go, you know? And then I think that to that end, like it, it can, you know, no matter what the song's about, it can, it can help bring forward social change. Uh, and it's great when the music it's great when the lyrics are about it. And it's great when the whole, when the whole thing, the whole package, when the whole way it's presented is about it. So that's kind of the side of the fence I've landed on, or I've tried to land on with my own music. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it necessarily needs to be there. I think it, I think it'll always be, I think, I think it could be emotionally centering without that, which I think is an important thing. Uh, if you want to kind of try and keep your head straight and keep focus and keep your own personal momentum going as uh, we continue to fight an unjust system yeah and i feel like your uh social media presence is also very concurrent with what you said about music being informative and stuff like yeah i know i've definitely learned a lot about current events just from you and other musicians retweeting things like as simple as clicking one button but uh did you feel kind of validated then when social media just completely turned to black lives matter basically for the last couple of weeks like Yes, I've been doing this stuff on Twitter for uh, weeks, and people are catching up. I mean, I didn't feel validated. I when I, I like, it's gross to see anything that feels like it's performative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll just leave that at that. That said, like, I it's it's good to see everybody talking about it, and it's nice to hear you say that. Like, from seeing that, you've learned things. I think from seeing it myself, I've learned things too. I think it's important to keep that conversation going. I think it's really hard sometimes because, you know, people don't want to just be a bad news machine all the time. Because if you're a bad news machine all the time, you fear that people aren't going to listen to you anymore. They're just going to mute you and turn you off. Uh, and then they're not going to find out about anything. So I think there's like, I think there's a, there's maybe a balance there, but also it's it's a very privileged point of view to be like, you know what, I'm exhausted. I can't hear about this anymore because that means that you are not getting murdered, you know? Uh, So I think that the movements on social media have been good, but also, like, I haven't seen them bring forth enough change. Like, I still, Mm -hmm. like, the cops who killed Breonna Taylor are still walking around free men, and that is completely wrong, and people have been kicking and screaming about it nonstop, and... They've been like, okay, wait, we we fired one of them. Is that enough? And it was like, no, arrest them all. What are you doing? Uh, or like, in specifically in LA, with like the police budget about trying to defund the police uh, because they are a militarized gang, and we are now seeing that clearly. Um, but they still have so many ties to the government 
and our police budget like getting reduced or our police budget increase after like a week of protests getting reduced by like three percent and everybody being like no that's not enough you're not listening to us mm-hmm. uh so i don't know i i i want to think that social media can be an avenue for real change uh and i've seen and we've seen real change and at the very least people are talking about it which is great um but i don't think it's the be all and end all of everything and i don't really know what the be all and end all of it is going to be to try and uh you know undo these uh inequalities that have been built into our system since america was founded right so you'd say then like social media helps but it can only up to a certain point before direct action in the real world is necessary yeah, that's a better way of saying that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, your, yeah. your way was perfect. <laughs> well, it's, it's, all, it's a concise good way of saying that, I could say, at least. Yeah, well, all right, I got just a couple more questions, and then I'll cool. let you go. This one is a bit of a twist on the classic Desert Island album question. If you only had one album you could listen to throughout the whole quarantine of the last few months, what would you pick? Oh... Oh, that's a, okay, it's one of two things. My brain would say Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys because it's been a record that's been there for me through tough times, and uh, that would be a good choice. But I think maybe Jay Som's record, Anak Co, because, like, straight up, like, the first month and a half of quarantine, that was basically all I was listening to. I, like, got it from our record label when I visited them on our drive from New York to L.A. when we were moving and it, it was kind of like something, a CD I just had in my car for a while, and I got really used to it. And then once we were locked in our house, and it was also raining in L.A., which is not a usual thing, uh, I felt like I was just listening to that record 100% of the time. So maybe that. Or maybe Laura Stevens' record, Big Freeze. That might be one, too, because uh, it would just be nice to think of my buddy, and it's a really great record. All right, so that's uh, three albums instead of one, but I think... Okay, I'll... okay, okay. Uh, Laura Stevens and Big Freeze. Okay, final question. So it's years and years in the future. Everything has been erased except just one song, years in the future. What is the one song from you that you want people to remember you by? From me? Throughout your whole career. Uh... Ohio Turnpike, maybe. It's long, at least. It's a lot of song. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, Ohio Turnpike. I was going to say USA, because it's also long. But in my mind, I'm like, the longest one is would make the most sense, because it's the most one. I don't know. I have no idea. It's like, I don't know. How do you know if anything that you do is any better than anything else that you do? Yeah. There's that's, no way to tell. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. Well, thank you so much for joining us this has been really cool yeah thanks a lot for talking to me yeah and uh no dream is out now go and listen to that if you like punk music or if you don't like punk music because it's still really good (laughs) thanks thank you have a great day you too bye nice talking to you matt